Hi, welcome to uh, the next episode of the podcast, Sacred Reading at Brandon High School with the Nickel Boys. We're nearing the end of the book. Uh, I'm Miss Huff, I'm your host, and with me today is... Miss Fowler. How wonderful to be talking to another English teacher today. So we're getting close to the end, and I got to tell you, it was hard to stop for me at this point. I really want to just, I, I got to the end of this section and had to pick something out to record and just really didn't want to stop. I wanted to read to the end. I had, I have to know how this is going to turn out. I mentioned much earlier on when I was recording with Sylvia that I was afraid for Turner because I know that Elwood survives, but now I think I know why I'm afraid for Turner. And so I am a bit heartbroken to have stopped where I did for this podcast and I know what's coming and I just know that when I sit down to read the the final end of the book that I'm just going to be weeping. You definitely are. I'm I'm not going to like spill the beans because I already finished but it's definitely going to take you to like a place of of wow. I, I can't believe this is how it turned out. Whatever happens with Turner or Elwood is what I was not expecting. <laughs> Let me put it that way. I was not expecting it to end this way, especially because that moment that Turner stayed quiet and didn't say to Elwood, like, don't give this letter. And then he comes back and says, okay, I will do it for you. Right. And I'm like, just like, I'm like holding my breath, like, oh my gosh, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on? And um, and the way it just turns out, uh, it just, it's so heartbreaking. Yeah, um, so I have a friend, I have a friend at another school who is an English teacher who just finished this book and she texted me when she finished it and she's like, oh my God, you're in for something. It was just gut-wrenching. Mm -hmm. He uses, the imagery he uses like there was one chapter in this book. I think it was chapter six. It was like the shortest chapter. And it's when Elwood gets uh, beaten up for the mm -hmm. first time. And I was thinking this whole time, well, why, why did he, why was that chapter so short? And I think he really wanted us to be in that room and feel what El Elwood went through. And then to know that, you know, in the, like, I think that's how chapter 14 ends. I hope I'm not skipping ahead where it says, no. um, he came in the night. It came in the night, right? Right. It's like, you know what's going to happen, but this time it's going to be even worse. Yeah. And, and, and all I could think about was how, how they just beat him and his legs and how the, the fabric of the gene like was stinging his, his cuts and all that. And, and to know that it was just going to be worse is really heartbreaking. And that there's nothing he can do in that room to change the number. It's, it's just malicious and awful and random. Like when the first time when he was receiving the beating, when he was looking at it and going, okay, well, the first guy got this many and the second guy got that many. And maybe if you're quiet or maybe if you scream or maybe if you uh, were the instigator and there is just no rhyme or reason to how the beating goes, they just are horrible people who feel like beating you. Yeah as yeah. punishment and that that's not justice you know that goes back to the quote i was talking about with miss jackson where justice existed in theory in theory 
Definitely. In theory, not in practice. Nothing about nickel is justice. Not at all. And, um, and there's obviously um, like a bias towards the white kids over um, the black boys and and they, they just get it so bad, especially like, well, what did they find in the graveyards? Who did mm -hmm. they find? Why were they only taking them back and being so sneaky? And then it, there was political things going on. It was so corrupt. There was no justice no. at all. And they talked about that kid who was the most famous one to escape. That uh, was Clayton? Clayton. I think so. Yeah, Clayton. Where he was just this you know, poor kid who his parents died and there weren't resources. And so he ended up in nickel. He didn't even do anything wrong. And then he's subject to this sexual predator. Yep. And so he runs away and they kill him for it. And the guy who was preying on him still works there and is a house master. And is still abusing boys. With the same belt buckle. Yeah. And, and it is sad because this is what happened with Elwood, he, he was at the wrong place at the wrong time, right? Just trying to go take college classes. He did right. nothing wrong. And he ends up in this place because, you know, back then for black people to be in a nice car, for them, that was a crime. And it's like, what? You know, yeah. he, he just did not get handed the opportunities that he deserved because he was such a great kid. And same thing with Clayton. He probably had dreams and aspirations and or just mm -hmm. wanted to do something despite the life that he was born into and uh, he lost his life for really no reason and we saw in this section as well for the first time Elwood is afraid of what's going to meet him on the other side of this you know Turner has said multiple times, like, well, you have family and people come visit you and you've got that lawyer. And the fact that the lawyer just took all of their money and ran really has done a number on his grandmother. And he's worried that this is one more thing and that she may not survive it. Yeah. I think it's so sad too, because he's, he knows how his grandma feels and he can't even be honest with the one person that is present in his life. And he right. has to like put on this mask. Like I'm, I'm okay. Um, I got promoted. I yeah. he got promoted too, but he gets promoted, and it's like I'll share some good news, but really this promotion is nothing but more of his oppression. In this right, world. and that's actually that leads us to the quote I wanted to talk about today. It starts on page 155 at the yep. bottom and goes to 156. So to those of you listening, again, we're using Lectio Divina, which is a sacred reading practice used by Christian monks, where they would take a quote and then look at literally what's going on in the text, allegorically, how is it like something going on in another text or the world around them? Personally, how does it connect to your own life? And then based on your conversation, what is your call to action or what is the text calling you to do in order to be a better human? Yeah. So it says at the bottom of 155, it says, um, it wasn't Spencer that undid him or a supervisor or a new antagonist slumbering in room two. Rather, it was that he'd stopped fighting in keeping his head down, in his careful navigation so that he made it to lights out without mishap, he fooled himself that he had prevailed. 
that he had outwitted Nickel because he got along and kept out of trouble. In fact, he had been ruined. He was like one of those Negroes Dr. King spoke of in his letter from jail, so complacent and sleepy after years of oppression that they had adjusted to it and learned to sleep in it as their only bed. This, this was one of those moments where I teared up because I, I remember um, when the book starts, Elwood, you know, he would listen to Dr. King's speeches and like something in him would just fire up like this passion mm -hmm. um, to, to be better, to do something. And that teacher came into his life and he felt like he could really, he could really fight for rights so that one day he could end up eating where the white people ate in the Roosevelt Hotel. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that what this is saying is that what's worse than a beating is, or, or Spencer or all these people at Nickel, is the fact that I can't even dream anymore, is the fact that I have become a robot to this white society that tells me I am no one because of my skin color and I don't have the space to, to even have a voice for myself. Mm -hmm. and, I, and that's what I think, right, Nickel wants is you be a good boy, you do as I say, you keep quiet and they win. Yeah. Because you're obedient to what they want you to do and they silence you in a sense. And I think what was consuming Elwood was that he was silenced. He was silenced from being able to pursue the dreams, to do the things Dr. King spoke of, and he became what inside he didn't want to become, right? That silent, complacent person that like becomes a robot in a sense mm -hmm. to what Nickel wants, to what the world wants of him. Yeah, this is right after he is talking to his grandmother and saying, it's okay, I just made Explorer. She yeah. says the lawyer ran off with our money after saying we had a clear-cut case. And he says, it's okay, I'm okay, I just made Explorer. Like, we don't have to fight the system and win and get me out. I'll get out by their rules anyway, which is exactly what you're saying, that he's no longer standing up and fighting this. He's not telling his grandma what they did to him. He, he is just going to move along and make rank and be the person they tell him to be. Mm -hmm. Because that's how he quote unquote succeeds, except that of course it's not. Right, and, and I think after, yeah, at the end of this chapter, it's like he realizes, wait a minute, there has to be another way. I, I've, I have to keep fighting. I can't, I can't, I can't be silent. I can't be obedient. There's more to me. I've, so much has already been taken from me. I, I can't let them keep taking more. And so I think that's why he, his plan, right, is to get rid of Nickel, write this letter to the inspector that's coming um, to really try to be the voice. And, and, and when he's writing the letter, I, I think it was in chapter 14. I just want to make sure I'm not going ahead. He, um, it's like he, he feels like he's making something out of himself because the way he expresses what this letter will mean um, yeah. to, 
to the boys, to him. It's like he'll become a legend, right? I think it's like him bringing that dream of kind of being like Dr. King one day or doing something like Dr. King. He could do it in this moment now. This is it. He has to. In a sense, in a way, I felt proud of him. Yes, for, for the courage to write the letter, right. for like, the courage to make a plan to deliver it. Yes. It, it's scary. He does know what can happen because right. if he does get caught, he knows what they'll do to him. But he, he still knows the beatings. He knows that they've killed people before. Yeah. Um, so this does take courage to write the letter and it takes coming back to himself. And, you know, interestingly, I almost want to put this quote in conversation with two things. Um, he mentions a quote from Dr. King that I've mentioned before, too. The darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Love cannot or hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Mm -hmm. I think it's his love of himself and remembering who he is. He cannot perpetrate this silent hatred against himself where he silences himself where he oppresses himself just to get along anymore the only real way forward is to break free of that to love himself to be who he is to be true to himself i also I think that. the oppression going on in here you mentioned of course that it's unequal with the white kids and the black kids even to the point that in the education system as well, they're not teaching the black kids anything. Like their school was at an elementary school level, even for the high school students. And even when Elwood tried at the very beginning to say that he was taking college classes and this is where he was, and they were like, yeah, 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 we'll look into it. And the teacher didn't even remember who he was three days later. Mm -hmm. That's another way of silencing. Like, we're going to put you in nickel and then we're going to take away any opportunity that you did have to change your circumstances and change who you are because we're taking away your opportunity to get an education in order to potentially climb all of these racist hurdles we've put in your path. Yep. So I think about those two, those other spots in the book allegorically mm -hmm. when I read the quote. And then I also was looking at, in chapter 14, there's a bit of a Martin Luther King quote on page 172. There's like a whole paragraph in italics. And I'm yes. not sure what to make of it and how to put it in conversation with this. It's as, um, throw us in jail and we will still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children. And as difficult as it is, we still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities after midnight hours and drag us out onto some wayside road and beat us and leave us half dead and we will still love you. But be ye assured that, that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer and one day we will win our freedom. The wear you down by our capacity to suffer is what's killing me here. I don't know how to put that in conversation with this. I don't know how to say that that's what's right. I don't know that I agree with it. I get the love, the sinner, hate the sin that's going on here. Mm -hmm. I, I get the want to win the freedom. 
I understand what he said, but at the same time, this, I'm going to wear you down because I'm just going to take it all. Yeah. Isn't that it's almost conflicting? It's very conflicting. Yeah, that's almost exactly what Nichols trying to do to them and just saying that you should take it. And I, I can't wrap my head around that part. You know, I wonder if what Dr. King meant was that through our suffering, something will rise. And I want to figure out how to explain this. Like biblically, um, right, Jesus suffered for us so that we can have freedom. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of Christians believe that, you know, there, there is good suffering because it ultimately leads to, to your freedom. And like we go through things that make us better. And I'd like to think of it as like a process where like, you know, when gold goes through fire mm -hmm. and so that it's, it's purified and it's made into that best piece of gold. It has to go through fire or like diamonds. They have to be, they go through this crushing process too. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the end, something beautiful comes out of it. And I wonder if maybe what he was saying here is we will suffer, but gold will come out of this. Uh, diamonds will come out of this and we, and we will win. I, I wonder if he's not like saying you, you've got to go through it and deal with it because that, because Dr. King was saying to fight for your freedom, you know, in appropriate mm -hmm. ways. We'll take everything that you can throw at us and still survive. And so we'll win. Yeah. And in a sense, you know, Dr. King and his philosophy like did lead to a, a successful civil rights movement, you know, where schools were united and uh, it, it's a different society now than it was yeah. then. And, and I wonder if this kept going back in Elwood's head, like he was conflicted with this idea. Because then it says the capacity to suffer Elwood, all the nickel boys existed in this capacity, breathed in it, ate in it, dreamed in that. That was their lives now. Otherwise, they would have perished. Mm -hmm. But they endured. So I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, like, does he feel like there is so, he's suffered enough. There's a lot that he's endured. And now, now it's time to be the gold or that diamond and shine. I don't know if that makes any sense. It's the trial by fire illusion we hear. Right. You know, you're not given things you can't handle. You'll be stronger for this on the other side. Right. Yes. I thank you for helping me have context with that. That definitely makes it make more sense. I just, the humanitarian in me doesn't want people to have to show a large capacity for suffering in order to affect change. And, and when you, and reading that, it's, it's unfair. It's completely unfair that a certain group of people have had to, for so long, endure such awful things and deal with all of that to then come out of it and still today deal with some sort of systematic oppression. Oh, yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, it's like, why is it like this? You know, why, why is it that one group has to suffer? So, and then, and then they come out, right? Woohoo, winning, like gold. And why, why is it that way? And I think that Elwood kept replaying 
specific quotes from Dr. King because he was like us, like, well, this is conflicting. Like, what are you trying to say to me, Dr. King? Like, I, I admire you, but I'm in a hole, in a dark hole. And I'm supposed to ex just suffer through this and then make a win out of it. And um, even though the book ends how it ends, I think that Elwood does make a win out of it because he stood up for himself, like you were saying. He loved mm -hmm. himself and he became that voice. Um, so maybe that line was, was like a push, like you've suffered enough, now it's time to get your freedom. I'm, I don't know, that's, that's how I'm trying to make sense of it. You know, early in the book, they talked about how all of the, all of the boys had been talking about abuse for years at Nickel. And it took the USF archaeology students to make the world listen when they found these bodies. Yep. And I know that that part of this story is true. Mm -hmm. That that really did exist at the Dozier School. And that in, they really did discover all of these bodies in an unmarked grave. And that it was, by, there were 55 graves that they had been hiding. That's how many bodies have been discovered to date though they think there are more because the school records are incomplete and they're still trying to account for about a hundred students through the years. Yeah. So eventually, maybe this is, maybe this, something like this book is what comes out of it as well. That all of the suffering that happened to so many people for so long was finally brought to light. And what happened to all of those people has now affected so many others you know i read this book and it shifts my perspective the more i read about communities that i did not grow up in the more i see humanity as well as oppression and want to be on the side of humanity and the more i learn how to do that so I wonder if things like this book as well are the pieces that come out and the capacity uh, to find the diamonds and for other people to win, for people to win their freedom through finally having the world see what really happened. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, a lot of these men have dealt with so much trauma because of Nickel for so long. To like just think about the things they endured is so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. you know? And I will say this: there's a line in the end in one of the last chapters where one of the characters um, talks about how he couldn't even sit in a movie theater and watch a scary movie with like or a violent scene because it was too much. It just brought him back to that place or little things that would just you know traumatize that have traumatized him from nickel that affect him now and 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 to know that there's a book that is standing up for you and bringing awareness um i know for a lot of the men that are still alive today would consider that gold because finally someone hears them mm -hmm. and despite the wrong that was done and and, I, and you can't make it right you know you just can't no you can't make it right, but at least it can bring awareness to other people so that they can have understanding of what many people in those communities 
have faced all of their lives. You know, I attended a virtual book fest called Y'all Stay Home. It's supposed to be Y'all Fest. Uh, and it's a Southern YA author thing, but it was now Y'all Stay Home and it was virtual. And they talk in that um, session. I was looking at one about telling truth uh, in tough times and tough topics and telling truth moderated by Nick Stone who wrote Dear Martin. And they talk about books as representations and that the more we can tell the stories of the people around us the more all of our students can read them and say the character in that book looks like me the character in that book sounds like me the character in that book reminds me of my uncle maybe that's why grandpa is grouchy um, he won't talk about what happened in blah, 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 but maybe now I understand him better. Right. I think that the more we tell these stories, um, the more we can all see each other as human. And all of those men who suffered for so long, this gives voice to what happened to them. But because it is fictionalized, we can analyze what happened to Elwood and Turner and what Jamie did to an in, to a, a staff member and all of that without making any of those specific men have to relive what happened to them. They yeah. didn't have to sit and, and tell their story and then have it picked apart. Mm -hmm. But they can see themselves in this and hopefully that helps them heal. Yeah. Definitely. And I, just like we were talking about earlier, where for Elwood, it was, you know, loving himself. This letter was like, I feel like a therapeutic thing for him in a sense, right? Because <laughs> it, it's like therapeutic for him to, to, to write out what everything that's been trapped inside of him and to let it go. And so all, if it, and that's just not Elwood, all of these real people who, have had to bury that in a deep place because you know a lot of them were raped and for men talking about that is very difficult and then they've had to just bury so many things so like a letter for Elwood this book can be something that heals um, many people I would say yeah and I I think that that leads me to sort of a call to action um, personally, and a little bit selfishly, I'm called to read more. <laughs> I say selfishly because I love it. Um, I'm a librarian for a reason. But the more I read, the more I understand human nature. And then also um, to share stories. The more I read, the more I can share stories. And one of the other things that I've seen in panels and that I see in this as well is that um, the the representation the the telling stories of a diverse set of people telling the stories that are hidden away for so long um when you when you can't find yourself in a book that's like a form of oppression yeah. um, i saw an author speak a couple of years ago at slam which is our media festival for the year and she was talking about the fact she's Asian American and she said that when she started writing like all of her characters were white because she just thought that's what you were supposed to do. 
because mm -hmm. those were the characters in books when she was growing up. And she said, you know, the fact that she, that kind of what she'd internalized was that her own story wasn't worth writing about, that it mm -hmm. didn't have an audience. And what an insidious type of oppression that is. And so we have to get out the stories of everyone, no matter if it's just that you are from a minority subgroup or if it's that you've been abused and it was painful and you wanted to hide it away because it was too hard to talk about. Whoever you are and whatever happened to you, if you can find your story and if you can find someone who is like you in books, it's validating. Yeah. I want to help validate for our students and for the people around me. So I want to read stories. I want to listen to students. I want to listen to the people in my life. And I, I hope to help give them a voice so that they can feel validated, love themselves like Turner needs to get this story out. Mm -hmm. I, I love that because unfortunately there's not, there still aren't enough people that want to do that. <laughs> especially, I'll just be straight up, like especially a lot of white people that want to deny that this is, this is real. Or not just white people, but people that in general want to deny that people go through experiences or that this race is treated this way or that this girl, well, how could she have gone through that? It's her fault. You know, like people don't mm -hmm. want to understand. They just want to place judgment, assume, and categorize people into boxes. Um, and so I love that because as I feel like as educators, that's like our number one job is to let them know, let our students know that we see them. Like, I mm -hmm. see you. I see you for who you are. Yeah, I remember, um, like growing up, teachers would say, like, there is no color in the classroom. We don't see color. But no, I want you to see my color. I want you to see all of those aspects about me right. because there's so much more to, to me than my color. But sometimes my color is the beginning of me. <laughs> and you've got to start there, you know. I was doing the book study um, for mm -hmm. what in the hood and and reading the book and this at the same time was actually really awesome because these boys, a lot of them didn't have parents in their lives. Like Elwood, he did. He had his grandma, but he didn't have his mom or dad. And, and I'm sure there was that hole in him that needed to, to be filled from his parents. And Turner or, had a lot less. Turner, right, who had basically no one. Um, and the one person he did have was his aunt, then ends up with this guy who, you know, blinds her from her nephew, in a sense. And um, we, we need to be able to see that our kids go through so, our students go through so many experiences that I, you know, like I grew up with both my parents, thankfully. Um, I, I've never experienced racism and prejudice to the, like how it's in right. this book, you know, thank God I was born in this time period, you know, and, but there are a lot of kids of color too, who because of what their generations before them went through, it's passed down and how they're treated, how they see the world, that it's like, we, we have to see that. We have to be willing to see that. And- um, You have to validate who they are. Right. 
Right. And the, and like the book study book really encouraged us to do that, that, um, they're, they're more than just a kid on your roster. They are someone who's been placed in your class for a reason. And are you going to, you know, invest in that? Or are you going to just check them off? Like so many people in the world have done to them, you know? Um, so I also want to, to validate people and, and learn to, because I have my own beliefs. I have, I see the world how I see it, but I can have that, but still be willing to understand others, you know, right. and like find that balance, which I think a lot of people would rather just be like, oh, this is how the world should work. And you suck your life. I don't like it. So mine is the right way, you know, and then we can't be like that because yeah. then we'll, we'll never see people for who they are. We'll never be a place that can, that can, we be all lose. People. Yeah. We all lose. We all lose. You know, interestingly, I had a job before this one that was not well liked. Um, I was one of those peer evaluators who walked around and sat in classrooms and took notes in the back and then talked through it with teachers afterwards. I wasn't working with new teachers, though I was working with experienced teachers, and it was my job to look at all of the evidence and rate the lesson, grade the lesson which is difficult. Uh, but the thing that I really learned in that job, I had 100 teachers roughly on my caseload for four years. So in the month of October, I saw the same lesson probably 40 times because different schools are at slightly different places and different people in different classrooms. You know, but if I'm, if I'm looking at sophomore English, most people are within a week of each other and all of them are basing their lessons off of the same unit in springboard or the same curriculum that we see. So I saw 40 people do a lesson slightly different ways. And I learned that there's not one right way to do it. And there's not five right ways to do it. The thing is that my what I thought going in um, that thinking looked like and teaching looked like and classrooms looked like a lot of times when I looked at my notes there was learning going on in ways that I never would have imagined and the teacher set it up in ways that I would not have ever thought to do and it was successful and I learned that there are so many more right ways and I think I'm carrying that through in my humanitarian thoughts as well, that just because the experience I had growing up felt like a family and a home and felt positive doesn't mean it's the only way to be or live. Mm -hmm. And I also would like to recommend to everybody um, a podcast. So I listened to the New York Public Library's podcast. It's called Library Talks. And one of them, their guest lectures, one of them was on how Black Lives Matter in school in New York City. And it was about a movement to get metal detectors taken out of a school because of how it made the students feel coming in, because the only schools to have them were large minority schools. Of course. And the people that they had on discussing this, both students, faculty, parents, 
people high up in education, uh, they all made really interesting points that being from the South, I had never even considered because it's a whole different perspective. So I'd like to recommend that podcast for a lot of lectures and information. And then specifically any of our teachers listening, you should really go give that one a listen about broadening your perspectives in education. Yes, we, we definitely need to do that. <laughs> and, and it's crazy. Like a metal detector just reminds those kids that that you just see them as a criminal or you see them as not good enough to make it or something like that. And it's, it's wrong. And, And I think that a lot of schools here in the South have imaginary metal detectors. (laughs) Um, where where, you come in the door, right? You, 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 you have reminders if your teacher doesn't see you or if the literature doesn't reflect your life, um, I, I think that's almost like a metal detector that, that reminds them that they are only being seen for, you know, a student in the classroom and not something greater, mm-hmm. you know. But I think that like with our school, at least after the book study, I think some awesome things are going to come to Brandon where we're going to be able to really stand in the gap for every student, you know, and I I hope so too. And choose to, to see everybody for who they are, white, black, Latino, Indian, whatever they are and, and step in their shoes. And if you can do that, you can build relationships with your students and then like magic is going to happen in the classroom, you know, because people just want to be seen. Anybody just wants to be seen. Like if you're in a marriage, your husband or your wife wants to be seen. If you have friends, they want to be seen. They want you to understand them. And it's the same thing with, with our students. I vote for magic. I vote for magic happening. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Thank you for chatting with me today about this book. Um, yes. I really appreciate your insights. And I hope you guys out there listening are enjoying this as much as I am. Enjoy is an interesting word because it is painful often. Yeah but I feel like it's really important to read. Definitely. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye.